Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, and I'm your host. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3, Two Prime Numbers. I don't know where that puts us overall, like what the total number of episodes that we are on is, but that would be the number, if it were prime, that would bother me. You guys get that? So right now, it doesn't bother me that we're on episode three, season three, both prime numbers. But the fact that we are, who knows, I don't know, I'm close to 40 episodes, maybe more, probably more with the bonuses. And if you take three and three, you get 33 and 33 is not a prime number. 33 is divisible by 11, three itself and one is not prime. So... We got a lot to talk about. Welcome to episode three, Death Gestures. Um, I I, I put a lot into the titles because I hope that you see that they tie into the overall story. And Death Gestures will mean a couple of things. You'll be able to to look at that title a couple of ways. Whether or not it is a uh, specific gesture or not, we'll have to hold on and wait to find out. Continuing on with the story that uh, episode two talked about mom finally passing and I'm picking up right where it left off because there's some things that I want to talk about in terms of, you know, when I in the last episode when I said in, in the doctor's office I decided I was going to whip mom with my, my demand that the doctor say it was her smoking so that she could, you know, you know heap another pile of guilt on herself. Like, you got to understand... There was no amount of guilt I could have put on my mother at that point that she didn't already put on herself. Her, and this is why I am I fear death. I fear death because, and and in as much as my mother wanted to face it with integrity, there she couldn't, because she didn't have around her what would have made her whole, which was her family. She loved her kids, men. She really did, and she believed in family, and she believed in all that bullshit. So, you know, it, it was it was life affirming for me, but also ter- it's terrifying now. The the older that I get, now I'm closer to her age now. She died at fifty six, fifty seven, and uh, I I don't think I've. I, I don't think my life has changed as much as you would expect it to after you see what what I saw. But what is of note here and something that I want to bring up is, uh, and everybody knows it, you've all heard it, but, but you can't unhear the pain of a mother watching her daughter die. And when, when at the very end, Bubchi kept herself completely composed absolutely stoic while all of the friends you know said you know made their condolences and and left and it was just family it was just my uncle ray uh chachi francis chachi means aunt in polish um me and bubchi Bubchi got up from her chair and walked over and touched my mother on the foot and just started calling her name and i it was literally like listening to a struggling baby seal cry for its mother because it was stuck in the mouth of a gray white. It was just awful. You can't unhear that. And I think that's why uh, 
that expression is so widely used is that a, a parent should never see a child die. Um, I'll never know it. I'll never know that feeling. I specifically took care of things so that I did so that I will never know that feeling. There will be no Sobolewski males. There will be no Sobolewskis beyond me unless my Kev starts to, you know, decides uh, my Kev, my brother starts deciding to pump out babies. It ends here. Yeah. That's why I'm leaving the podcast, right? Because if I have kids, you know, my kids could have brought on, you know, taken on the the mantle of my storytelling and this story and and maybe brought it to like later on as a, this was my dad and he had such a troubled past. And I don't know. I lay in bed at night wondering what, what the, what the televised version of the Sobolewski story will look like. Cause there's multiple angles. It, you, you could, I would love to make it a dark comedy, you know, cause there's, cause it would, that it just explains my humor and it explains, it explains how to inject my mother and my mother's influence into this story because there's just so many parts. The part where my the the gun falls apart in the Burlington robbery, goddamn firing pin, and the the spring rolls towards me. <laughs> it it was a shit show, and there's comedy in there, but it would that would you need to break the seriousness of of what's going on and. I don't know that this scene would ever be shot. Who wants to see Bubchy fall apart after Lucy dies? But uh, when I say that I whipped my mother in that doctor's office, it, it, it sticks with me because, you know, it's bringing up something that maybe is not is unresolved for me. The way I treated her, I feel bad about the way that I treated her in that office. How, my, how I let my anger take over all of the sentiment that should have been there and all of the, you know, I should have been there holding her up and I decided to kick her. And I decided to kick myself here because I called a funeral home in Epping, New Hampshire and they came and got her. A little tiny minivan now. See, when's the last time you saw a hearse? I saw one the other day and it was like, and this is Florida. So, I, you know, every other car down here is a hearse and it's full. But it's the first time I actually saw one and it was brand new. Like it was a cat. It, it, it looked, it looked like a damn Range Rover that you just pop a body in the back of. It was cool. I got to tell you, it was cool again. And it'd been a long time since I had seen that. It had certainly been at least until the last time I saw you know, them come and pick up my mom. And when they walked in, um, I watched the whole bagging process. I watched them bag my mother. I don't, I don't know. I wanted to sear it into the frontal lobe of my brain. I just wanted to remember that so I could whip myself later with it. And it, I still do. It's an image you can't unsee. Like the sound of Bubchi crying is something I can't unhear. And those are the fucking demons that come out at night. Those are the things that you're like, geez, I wish I, I wish when that popped into my head, I didn't have to obsess on it. Or the more you think, don't think about it, the more you think about it. 
It's like saying, hey, uh, I, I don't want to have a plan for life. Well, is actually a plan for life. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, afterwards, when all is said and done, and, and this was during the 18 hours prior to her death, the hospice was all over the house, and they were telling me, you know, this is what will happen, call a funeral home, blah, 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 and, and they were... And they were there most of that time because you couldn't tell when it was going to happen. And you wanted hospice there to be able to say, okay, time of death. She, uh, they, do a, they have a lot to do with whether or not you get the death certificate, of course. Well, check, she's dead. And um, they sat me down. Little Miss Hourglass sat me down, if you remember from the last episode, the one that asked me to break the pack. And she said, listen, you know, I don't, I don't know what what your belief is and, and I gotta tell you something whether or not a nurse is a religious fanatic and if, even if they were okay let's just say I was working with a you know absolute religious nut sitting in front of me who was also a nurse you don't tend to see that and even if they were there would there would be a level of perspective and logic and and most good nurses would be able to leave that stuff at the door to the ICU. And I'm talking ICU nurses mostly. I'm not talking the... You know, I don't want to get in a nurse war here. <laughs> but I, when I say nurse, I say of the caliber of an ICU nurse. Mad respect. Mad respect. Um, she sat me down and she said, listen, I don't know what you believe, but you know, some things may happen over the next week or so that you can't explain. Oh boy. Oh, don't do that to Bri. Wow. I don't know. I was like, lady, I don't know. You've known me. You probably know me more than most people because you're about as close to me as most people at this point because I don't people, let people get close to me. But uh, you probably have seen I'm a little obsessive compulsive and you have no idea what seed you are planting in my head. But I said, okay, what do you mean? Because I don't believe that shit. I don't believe you come back from the dead. I don't believe you see spirits. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't have any ghost stories. I've never had a, a near ghost incident. And if I did, my brain would instantly look to try to explain that with science. And there's usually a better explanation than the dead came to me. Also, I'm scared to death of it. So <laughs> I feel like if I don't believe it, it won't happen. She said things may move. She said there may be things that only you and your mom know or have talked about that you see in the house has changed, like a plant or turned, or she said, and she gave me a couple examples. One woman loved to have her tea every day and the husband moved the pot and then came back and it was back where the wife kept it or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like a communication, she said. You know, maybe it's, and they always preface with, well, maybe it's them letting you know that they made it to the other side. I said, <laughs> don't you worry about any other sides with loose, man. Mom's, mom's in South Florida type weather. Trust me, wherever she is. Straight to hell. We're all going straight to hell. But wouldn't luck have it that uh, some shit went down. Some shit went down. Now, remember I told you about my night terrors. And I, I still had those. And I, I got them way worse after prison. 
way worse. Like they were on a weekly basis. And my mom and I had some bones of contention about certain things. Like little, you know, when you live with somebody, the little tiny things tend to make you crazy about them. One thing that she knew about me is that I can't sleep until if a closet door is open. I do not like that. So I will make sure the closet doors are closed. I will actually get up and close the door if it's open, even if it's cracked a little bit. And she knew that. She used to come at night and rarely I ever left it open. But I would, you know, when she'd come in and tuck us in on the rare occasion, I would watch her close the closet doors for me. One of the other things that used to make her nuts is when I left the TV on, I fell asleep with the TV on. And I do still do it to this day. I thrive in chaos. I like to sleep with the TV on. I, and I like a war movie playing. And I'll, I'll be out like a light. But it used to make mom crazy because it wasted electricity. Wow. This is a woman that had uh, a plugged in 24-hour day all winter duck warmer for the water of the ducks so that it wouldn't freeze for them. And I got shit for leaving a TV on. So... <laughs> You used to have to set a little timer, you know, a little timer on your sleep timer on your TV. I guess millions of people do it and it became a problem. So they created a sleep timer and she used to get mad that I wouldn't set it. Now, one night I fell asleep. I was, I fell asleep fetal facing the door and uh, I didn't close the door when I was there by myself. I left the doors open which was weird for me and, and usually meant a bad night's sleep. And as I was dozing off, the TV was on and the closet door was open. And I thought to myself, I'm going to get up and I'm going to close that closet door before I sleep. But lo and behold, I fell asleep first. I wake up and it's 3.07 on the clock. The room is fully lit by... I, I slept with the light on, the little table lamp next to me. Eyes open, paralyzed. I am paralyzed. This is a night terror. So I knew it, and, I'm, and I knew I couldn't move. I got to wait it out, but the closet door was closed, and the TV was off, and I didn't set the timer. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that, oh, shit, boom, there it is. That's what they talked about. And it freaked me out. It freaked me out and it might be part of the reason, like, I don't know what my periphery or my eyes or my brain saw first, like the closet door closed or the TV off, but both of those things calculated into my brain and may have caused the night terror and the paralysis. But um, I freaked out for, and I didn't sleep much the rest of that night. Now, come time for mom's service. Now, I told you the difficulty we had. She, she was very nervous about telling Bobchi about her service at a Unitarian church, not a Catholic church. Bobchi was all up in arms, told me she wasn't going. She's not going to watch hula hoops and firecrackers, which I thought was hilarious. But at the same time, I was like, fuck you. Um, I finally got Bobchi to go. Okay, so I got to go down and I got to get for this service mom planned everything she had the guitar piece this brilliant guitarist 12 string guitarist sat down he looked like Bob Vila the guy that used to do the paintings on PBS or whatever with the trees happy little trees um, and he sat and he strummed a beautiful piece and 
she had a list of people she wanted to get up and speak. And it was beautiful. So I was in the process of planning this out. I talked to the guitar guy. And this is one of those scenes where, one of those situations where I got a first glimpse glimpse at how overwhelming my pain was. The priest, or whatever you call a Unitarian dude that conducts services, we'll call him a priest. That's all I know. He knew mom, and, and mom was a part of that church, and it was a part of her life that I didn't really embrace because I wasn't, I didn't go back to church, nor have I been back since. I don't know what the deal is with, you know, most third dates for people mean sex. A third date if with me usually means she's going to try to bring me to church. I swear to God, man, I don't know how many, how many girls I started to date are like, oh shit, uh, I don't go to church much, but I got to get this guy to a church. I got to get this guy to somewhere with a steeple. I don't know. It's almost like that. <laughs> like I said, even if they're not religious, they're like, we got to get bride to church. This kid needs some direction. But um, I digress. Planning this service and mom's priestess comes over to the house. I make some tea. I put out some cookies. I was the, I was this, you know, I was the executor of the will for all intents and purposes. Mom's house was mine. I could have sold it and took off. You know, thought about it, <laughs> but um, you know, that was not her uh, wishes. So I sat with this guy and we talked about the service and. At the end of the details, which I delivered very, very succinctly and robotic, he said, and how are you doing? And I could feel from my toes all the way up to the bottom of my throat just tighten. And I was ready to, I felt a tornado of pain, ready to consume the entire room, him included. And who knows how much more of Epping. That, that's how afraid of it I was. And I had to sit and pause and my eyes welled up. And he watched me fight it down to like a typical male. Like, nope, nope, not going to cry, not going to cry. Something in my eye, I got something in my eye. I pushed it down and I said, I'm fine. Thank you for coming. And we, I got up and ushered him out the door. Now, that was an opportunity for me to uh, unburden. It was an opportunity for me to... Um, let some of it go, but it, that's a spigot that once I turn it, I'm, I'm always afraid I won't be able to turn it back off. Like maybe that's what made mom crazy. Maybe mom turned that spigot and couldn't turn it back off. And that's what made her have to sit in a mental institution. You know, once a month, I was so afraid of that. I was afraid that somehow my, my, control of my emotions, which was basically an utter uh, uh, lack of acknowledgement is more of control. Nobody controls shit. I get it. You know, I've done the feelings. group. Nobody controls them. Just feel them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, I'm a Sobolewski and I'm a stubborn prick. And I said, no, I'm controlling that shit. But mom's service was... Um, it was incredible, man. Like, everybody should do this. Like, I feel like when somebody dies, you just go to your church and they're like, yeah. Uh, and I, what's hilarious is the process of picking out, um, you know, a casket and a room for, like, a, a funeral home has different rooms. How many are you expecting? Did you want the grand room? Or would you like something more private? 
and they all talk like that. They all, why when you go into a funeral home is everybody so afraid to wake up the dead? It, it's not, I've been into sleep study clinics where they were like, hey, what's up? Have a seat. You know, <laughs> that's where you want them to be quiet. Funeral home is just so somber. Welcome to the funeral home. And I went with Chachi Franny. I went with my aunt who I swear to God, Chachi Gladys, I don't even know the woman, so I'm not, I can't speak ill of her. So that's where it ends. Uh, Chachi Franny, you could see just exactly where mom got her sense of humor from because that woman had a little darkness in her. Oh, she was great. And we went in and it was like, okay, listen, I'm in a lot of pain here, so uh, let's have some fun is what I think when I'm sitting in a funeral home. Let's put the fun in funeral. So we're sitting there and they bring, they bring out this three-ring binder. They're like, uh, yeah, we understand it is your mother's wishes to be cremated. Let me tell you what my mother's wishes were. My mother said, listen, don't give him a dime. I don't want to be put out. I don't want to be wake. Don't put me in a casket. Don't spend that money. Take that money. Do something nice for yourself. Please, please, please don't have a funeral. What's the first thing the family did, including Chuchi? You got to have a funeral. You got to wake her. I'm like, I'm not having a funeral. She has a service planned and I'm not going to wake her. The awake, the wake was close to six grand to show her one day, two sittings. Six grand. Look, I get it. You're rolling a dead body into a room and you got to do things to it. But I had to rent the casket. She was being cremated and had prepaid for it. I think it was like 900 bucks. Like this is the difference between getting hip surgery for that 13 year old dog or just... <laughs> euthanizing it for $15, 1500 or 15 You know, it's a, it's a huge difference in price. Sorry, those people out there that, you know, find me cold for even using that analogy. Let's make it a cat, okay? 15-year-old cat, a two-year-old cat. Euthanize that thing too. So, um, cremated, 900 bucks, or $6,000 to have her shown, have her paraded, for the family to come and look at. Now, I did that at uh, their pressure. They pressured me to do that. And uh, the sisters came and sat in different rooms. So I had to get the grand room so the two sisters didn't have to sit in the same room because they didn't get along because they couldn't fucking take their differences and put them aside even in death. That's how stubborn the Sobolewskis are. My mom's side of the family can hold a grudge. They can hold a grudge. If there was a grudge Olympics, Poland would win, man. My family would be in it every year. And I had to get the grand room because Chachi Franny and Chachi Gladdy couldn't be in the same room. I wanted them to face off. I would have paid money to see that because Franny, you could tell Franny was scrappy. And uh, Chachi Gladys lived high on the hog and was a little heavy. So the hilarity of, of picking out the urn they so they hand me the three ring binder and they're like, they range in price, so take your time in choosing the best home for your loved one. And they leave the room, which is nice, but I know that they just go around the corner and sit and listen. Or whatever. I'm probably on a closed circuit camera while Dexter's downstairs fucking hacking up the neighborhood. Boy, do I have a dark imagination. But I open up the three ring binder. Very first option for receiving your loved one's ashes after they shake and bake 
is uh, a wooden box. The wooden box was $1,500. I don't know what kind of wood it was made of. And, and I'm hoping and wondering if maybe because it was made out of a specific wood, it was $1,500. But you're still taking the wood, putting it, you know, four pieces of wood into a square and covering it, right? Like that's, like I did that in wood shop for free. Like taxpayers paid for me to do that, but it wasn't $1,500. What the fuck? And then there was a list of prices next to it per letter if you wanted engraving. It, you could pick a specific engraved background and specific lettering. So they had so for Lucille Joan Rooney and my last mother, mother's last name was Rooney. They had a specific price. They had a different price if it was a uppercase letter as opposed to a lowercase letter. So somebody would sit down and come up with total. All in all, if you wanted the first box version with any type of stenciling, you were looking at 2500 bucks. So now I got... I'm close to six grand for the showing to put my mom in a box, wheel her out front so my mother's two sisters can sit in separate rooms that weren't even in the room the body was in, which is what I think I paid for. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into this situation close to eight, nine grand now. <laughs> Death is big business. Do you see why my dad said there's no money in it on our side when we were robbing stores? dad was always like listen we never planned on killing anybody but the end of the woody situation robbery too we were just gonna rob him and someone went in there and decided to kill him um dad was always like there's no money in it there's no money in it and god forbid it ladies and gentlemen if there was we would kill all you sons of bitches <laughs> there's no money in it there's no money in murder there really isn't so hard to get away with that there's no money in it you spend more money trying to prove that you didn't do it um but i sat there with chuchi franny and i know this was a long way to go to get to this joke but i sat and i fucking nudged her i nudged her with my elbow and i said uh, hey what if uh what if we say we don't want any of these options what do they do put her in a chinese food box takeout box <laughs> those little white boxes with the wire handles and my judgy friend she lost it she lost it and then okay this is one of the first times in my life i was able to get my aunt to laugh um afterwards we went and she goes i want to go over and and see if we can find some vases because we're gonna have people over and i got a caterer for after the service and as we're walking through she's looking for vases i was like hey I have an idea. And she instantly knew as I picked up the vase. I was like, why don't we just chuck mom in this? <laughs> and it was just, it was, I needed it. I needed to be with somebody that could be inappropriate because that's what mom would have done. You don't know how many of those situations that we have been in where they were just so uncomfortable that mom would just go next to you and be like, yeah, they, uh, the pallbearers are all fucking ugly. Or, you know, just just something that would just, even though it wouldn't, isn't funny right now, then, forget it. You're talking about pissing yourself laughing because it was inappropriate. It was at the wrong time. It was perfectly said. It wasn't expected by my mother. It was like Bupchi doing it. So we, we, uh, we're ready, right? So we get the house. I get, you know, I get, I get some caterer to come in and serve beanie weenies, those little weenie things. And it's just something to feed people afterwards because it's, I guess it's, you're supposed to. 
And we do the whole funeral thing. We go to mom's service and, you know, the whole family came out in spades. Um, they all did. Even my um, Chachi Gladys. And they sat and sit different sides of the church. The Unitarian Church was funny. In a Catholic church, you usually have pews sectioned out. You know, you get the middle section of the two side sections. Uh, this place just had one big section. You know, you could tell it was just like, listen, everybody's welcome. And Unitarian, just the word says, hey, I don't care what you believe. But if you're okay sitting next to somebody that believes something else, come on in. I mean, wow. Why? Now, now put up a Unitarian candidate right now. Forget it. See ya. Bye. Shithead. Hate him. So funny that that church and state have never been separated in this country, but leave it to mom to find a place that entire philosophy was, I don't care what you did. I don't care what you do. But if you can sit next to somebody else that may do or think something different and you're okay with that and you can break bread with that person or celebrate or honor or pray, then go ahead. What an amazing lesson. What an amazing lesson that if mom taught me that at seven, you know, uh, could have been, this could be a different podcast right now. I could, <laughs> this could be a different podcast. But I'm going to share with you the story that I decided to get up in that pulpit and tell. And it's a story that I have always found brilliant. It's a story that as soon as I tell it and it makes what it, it instantly starts to make me think that, hey, there's no escape. There's no escape. And the story goes like this. I read it in Anna Freud's biography, Sigmund Freud's daughter, her, not autobiography. It was a biography of her. And to this day, I can't find this story. So if anyone else can find this story, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it the best way that I know it, but it's not, this isn't perfect word for word, but it's amazing. So if anyone knows this story or where to get it, please, please, please message me or, or find me on Facebook or whatever and, and let me know. But it starts where a guy was walking down a busy street one day and looks across the street and sees death. And death sees him. And death makes a gesture. And the guy shits and spends the entire day. He goes immediately to the docks and gets on a boat and goes as far as the boat will take him. And then he gets and climbs the highest mountain possible and at the top of the mountain he gets on top of a helicopter and goes to the next highest peak which is even higher than the first one and finally when he finds the furthest point from where he was that morning he sits down and he sighs in relief and turns and sees death walking towards him and he's like what the fuck I just spent the entire day trying to get away from where I saw you because I saw that you gestured towards me and Death says, I didn't gesture towards you. That was a that was a look of surprise because I had orders to come get you here that morning and I was shocked to see that where you were. <laughs> get it? It's it, <laughs> like that had instructions to come and get him at this peak and was like, oh shit, why is he down here? And then it, yeah, you got it. You got it. I mean, it was an amazing story. And obviously I butchered it, but you get the story. You get the gist of it. And through all of it, nobody was able, you know, with all of the invites that I got to, you know, please, if you want to express your pain, if you want to get, you know, want to talk about it, 
there were only two people that really did exactly what I needed. And, uh, and they have continued to do that for me in my life. And one was Patty. Patty has never, ever, 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 ever in my life confronted me with anything. Has never, has, she has always just been there. And, and she has, she has been one of the people that have been as honest with me as possible about who I am and what I am. And, uh, Marcel, Marcel is the other person that, uh, has never, uh, you know, the way that I have seen him with everybody else, they're all, they're, they're helping people and helping professions. And when they see somebody struggle, they have the ability to pull them out of that, but they have never imposed out or tried to do that with me. And, and sometimes I've been like, what the fuck? <laughs> I could use a little help, but understand that's not what I mean here. What Marcel did for me is put it into his perspective, how he understands it. And he said this, he said, your mother simply lived as long as she could in that vessel. Her body was merely a vessel and something pulled her from that vessel so she could move on to the next state of being. And, you know, I, it was a way to take that. It was almost like somebody giving you the ingredients to bake a cake instead of giving you the cake that they wanted, that they saw. That I could take that information and be like, well, maybe the next state of beating is nothing if that's where I want to go with it, if that's where my belief system sat. Or maybe I can take that and, and say, hey, yeah, maybe mom is moving on. Maybe she is in a different state of being. Maybe she was just pulled from this early because she was needed elsewhere. I mean, my mind could play in Rome and in that process. Um, and short of that, you know, I will tell you that I asked both Patty and Marcel um, point blank. I said, hey, you know, I've noticed in the entire time that I've known you, what do you, what do you think? Like, what would you say to me if I were a client? And both of them just shrugged their shoulders. They were like, Brian, I don't know, man. I don't know. And but I love them both. I love them both for that honesty. I love them both for the, that's the best answer that I think I could have ever gotten. Because again, and I've talked about this in the last podcast, I am giving you my life. So, and I'm handing it to you on a plate and asking you to eat it. So I can sit back and see whether or not you choke on it the way that sometimes I feel like I'm choking on it. Sometimes I feel like this life has poisoned me and can, I keep eating this poison. If I keep, you know, maybe I should leave it. Maybe I should just leave it in the past and never talk about it again and hide it. And I tried that when I went to Colorado. I tried that and somebody just dug it up. People, you know, this is the state of, this is the age of Google, man. And, and somebody Googled me up and, you know, brought it all back to light. And no, man, it just never been my MO to hide. It just hasn't ever. And, and, uh. Those were two very, very honest answers about who and what I am. I don't know. Just because there's not a lot of precedent prior to, right? So, I'm going to leave you with the last little Ghostbuster story that, two actually, because after the services and after all was said and done, I got my ass into therapy. 
because I had a dream. I had a dream that was very disturbing to me. Uh, I was in mom's kitchen and mom was dead in the dream and a red uh, SS pulls into the driveway. The kind that Guy Fieri drives for Triple D. Drivers <laughs> pulls in. My mother's friend Barbara was driving and she stayed in the car. Mom gets out of the car and she was dead wearing the little tiny, she had this little cute muumu with colored flowers on it that I dressed her in. And it was just so comfortable for her and she loved it. And she was in that. She walks into the kitchen. This is zombie mom. Zombie mom walks in and starts demanding her job back. I want my job back. And I was like, mom, but you're dead. She's like, I want it back. I want it back. I want it back. And it was such a disturbing dream. I mean, it, it bugged me so much. It, st it still bugs me that I, I, I wanted somebody else's take on it. So I went into therapy and I met this guy. And this is the beginning of me talking about therapy, but we're going to have to go through a bunch of therapists before I get to Bob because a bunch of these clowns. Woo. So I go to this guy and I forget his name. I'm going to call him Derek because he's this big husky guy with a beard. I forget his actual name, but uh, he says, this, your mom is coming back in the dream to let you know that her job died with her. Now, you got to understand that I made deathbed promises to my mother. I made deathbed promises that I would take care of Kev and that I would take care of Jess, both financially in the way that she wanted me to by divvying up her estate, which was my, I could have kept the house and done what I wanted with it. I could have done whatever I wanted, but when it became, when, it, when I cashed out that it would be divvied up appropriately. Um, in that I would take care of them as she would. Like I was supposed to be mom now and I took that on and I made that promise that my brain wanted me to find a way out. And it was just hugely revealing to me and that dream was the impetus for me starting to dissect the rest of my brain, the rest of my life, the, the rest of what I am and what I've become as a result of everything that you just heard. So... That's my story. That is the end of uh, Death Gestures. I hope, uh, see, I hope I tied the title all the way into that story at the end where Death Gestures towards you. You think he's picking you out because he's there to get you and you spend the day running away and there's death again saying, wow, I was so surprised to see you this morning where you were. God, I love that story. Guys, take care of yourselves. I will talk to you next week. Episode four is already in the makings Hope you loved it. Love you. Have a good one.